Good morning, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor at Vernonia Church, and it's my privilege to be here with you today online as we walk through the scriptures together. Hey, in just a few moments, we're going to have a message. We're going to begin a brand new teaching series where we're going to talk about how grace works. And we're going to be turning to a book called the Book of Leviticus and talking about grace from the Old Testament. And in just a few moments, I'm going to share with you a teaching where we're going to talk about God's grace and the cost uh, of sin. And it's going to be a great day. Before we do anything, though, I'd like to ask you, if you will, to make sure you let us know that you're here. There's a link to connection cards down below. Uh, Click that link and let us know how we can be praying for you. Let us know that you are joining us here online today. Uh, just, just just use that to communicate with us. We'd love to know you are here. Also want to encourage you to do all the things that help uh, uh help us grow this podcast, this outreach that we're doing. I'd love to have you make sure that you like and subscribe to our page, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or you're on Spotify or uh, iTunes, whatever you're on. Make sure you're doing all that stuff and click the sub notification bell and uh, so you can be alerted when new stuff comes up. Also want to encourage you, you know, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. We're supposed to be sharing the messages that, that God has given us and we're supposed to be sharing his word. I want to encourage you to share. Uh, if, if there's something that's said in any of our online stuff that helps you and is a blessing to you, if there's someone in your life that you think uh, could be blessed by it, whether it's a friend or whether it's a family member or, or just an acquaintance, someone you know that you think might be blessed by it, I would encourage you to make sure you share it uh, because when you share it, that will help us be a blessing to them and you can help us be a blessing to the friends in your, and family in your life. Uh, so that said, uh, I want to invite you to pray with me, and we're going to dive into this message together. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, as we begin a brand new teaching series here, I pray that you will bless us, that you will teach us, and that you will open our minds and our hearts to your word. God, I want to ask a special blessing for each one who's here online today. I pray that you would bring encouragement. I pray that you would draw them close to you. I pray that you would teach from your word. And God, I pray that as we come to you and worship you through Jesus and his ultimate sacrifice, I pray we would understand more really what the cost was, the cost that you paid for us and the sacrifice and offering that you made for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to dive in to our message. Let's open up our 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 message this morning. I would like to encourage you, if you have a, a Bible, open it up to the book of Leviticus. You know, this morning I'd like to begin this brand new teaching series where we're going to talk about grace and how grace works. So we're going to, like I said, we're going to be opening up to the book of Leviticus, a place that most people don't think of when they think of the word grace. Because usually when you think of the Leviticus, you think of law, you think of works, you think of sacrifice. I mean, the book of Leviticus will be this inner interesting book that will take us into a world that a lot of us have never experienced and don't even understand. But what we're going to find is that the book of Leviticus is a book that sets the stage for God's grace, that it sets the stage for Jesus 
as our Messiah and as our Savior. And this morning, I'd like to take a look at the first several chapters of this book, and we're going to see how grace works and how the cost of grace was so high. We're going to look and see what it required to bring about grace. We're going to look at the teaching about the cost of grace as we go through uh, the first part of the book of Leviticus. And what what we're going to find is that grace has a special smell, a special aroma. Now, I'm not a mechanic by any means. I'm sort of a parts replacer occasionally, and sometimes I'll fiddle and just mess around trying to fix something. And I have these uh, I have a little boat with a little motor, and uh, it, it needed new oil. It needed the oil replaced, and it needed a new gas line. And, and so I, I spent the afternoon, you know, doing redoing the oil and making a new gas line for my little outboard motor. And by the time I was done, I thought, you know, I'd love to go out and use this old little old boat and motor, and I want to go fishing. And so I got my son to go out fishing with me, and we went out fishing. We caught some fish, and, and there were some things, some smells some aromas from the day that I actually thought were great I I mean by the time I was done with that little outboard I had the smell and aroma of gas and spilled oil because inevitably like I often do I spilled on myself gas and oil and and uh, and I got kind of dirty and I was doing it out in the sun so I got kind of sweaty and then I took my son out fishing and and I got the smell and the aroma of fish all over the boat and and all over me and and you know when I looked at and thought about the the smells from the day they were all smells of sweet success you know I mean it was a pleasing aroma the smell of gas and oil and sweat meant that I accomplished something and got a job done and and well done and the smell of fish on the boat I mean when you go fishing you want to catch fish and and so that's a smell of success and and when I went home I I walked into the kitchen where Carrie was I went out to give her a hug and and she didn't feel the same way about the aromas from the day I mean I mean I was feeling successful and, and what she had to say boy she just said get away from me don't even try to hug me until you go clean up and and, and you get rid of that smell, and you smell differently. Then maybe he can come and hug me. But get away from me. You stink, you know. And, and, and sometimes what we think of as a sweet aroma, maybe someone else doesn't think of as in the same way. At the same time, I think we all have things that we think of as pleasing aromas. Uh, I mean, uh, some of us will, will, will think of, oh, if I asked you, what is... Maybe you could even leave this in a comment. Uh, what, what is something that you find is a, just an amazingly pleasing aroma? Maybe it's something that takes you back to a place. Because sometimes smells can create like uh, a memory, a moment, or, or a place uh, that, that has a particular smell might be special to us. Is there an aroma that, that stands out to you as something that's pleasing? Maybe you grew up on a farm, and whenever you go out and you smell a farm, you know, you smell the, the cows and the manure, and it brings you back to a special place. But maybe you grew up in the city, and you go out and you smell a farm, and you just go, oh, man, that's a, there's a farm out there, you know. Maybe it has a, maybe there's something pleasing to you 
that maybe isn't pleasing to others. But then maybe it was grandma's cookies. You know, one of my favorite smells on the planet is the smell of freshly baked cookies. I worked really hard at coming up with how to cook the perfect chocolate chip cookie. It mattered to me. Now, I might not be a mechanic, and I, but I am a cook. I love to cook. And one of the things that I love cooking up, I love baking up, is, is fresh chocolate chip cookies. And, and I figured out how to, how to cook them just shy of being overcooked and just shy of being fully cooked. I sort of like a cookie that's going to be a little stiff on the outside but gooey and, and, and soft on the inside. And so, so I perfected how to do that. And man, the smell of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies it takes me to a place and a time that's special it takes me to a to a food that i can't wait to eat i'm getting hungry just thinking about it maybe it's the smell of baked bread maybe it's the smell of freshly cut grass or maybe it's the smell of the ocean maybe it's the smell of the the woods and the timber when you went out hunting with grandpa or or maybe it's the smell of a clear cut uh, where you worked with your dad and uh, cutting trees or the smell of a fire whatever it is do you have a smell something that's a pleasing aroma and we're going to see the language of please a pleasing aroma all throughout the book of Leviticus. In fact, 17 times throughout the book of Leviticus, it will describe a a sacrifice being made saying that it would create a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And and I'm going to be honest with you, when we read about those sacrifices, most of us will probably not find what's being described there to have been pleasing. Uh, We will find the activity and the action and what's happening there to be somewhat repulsive, but it will describe it as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And I don't think it's so much in what the aroma was, what the smell that was being made was, but it was all about what was behind the smell at the time. It was behind the the heart of the worshiper who was offering this sacrifice, the heart of the worshiper who who was bringing the sacrifice. You see, when we enter into the book of Leviticus, We enter into this world that is completely foreign to us. We enter into a world where there was an altar burning in a tabernacle or a temple later on. And and this altar was continuously being covered with the blood of sacrificed animals. And there was continually animals being killed and sacrificed in worship of God. And, and there was continually meat and other things being burned on the fire of, of the altar. And there was a continual smell in the air. Daily, there was this worship happening. Daily, there was a fragrance in the air daily something was going on creating an aroma and the aroma of worship and commitment behind the worship and and sacrifice in the worship it describes it all as being a pleasing aroma to God really setting the stage for an ultimate sacrifice to come setting the stage for the day that Jesus would die on a cross for the day that that he would give himself over to 
death. And, and, and if we were to go to the cross and the smells of that day, if we could smell the blood drying out under the heat of the sun, if we could smell the vinegar that they were offering him to, to drink, if we could smell the, the sweat and the stench of death and dying as it was there, most of us would say that's not a pleasing aroma. But what was happening there, what was being offered there, the love that was being shown there and the total, the total offering and sacrifice and being done away with sin and death for good and, and offering eternal life and the hope and the oneness with God and, and all the things that were offered at that cross and that moment in that sacrificial moment, that was a pleasing aroma to God. And that's what it says in the book of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul would write, live a life of love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And so as we open up, and and if you were, while you're at home, if you were to open up your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and go all the way to chapter 7, you, you would see smattered all throughout these chapters and, and all throughout these descriptions of offerings and sacrifices that each one of them would provide a pleasing aroma to God, and they were setting the stage for what Jesus would come and do. They were setting the stage, teaching people some lessons about God, about sin and death and how God wants to, to take care of those things and deal with those things. I mean, there's some lessons that we learn from the book of Leviticus that are really important. Lessons like the seriousness of of sin and how serious God takes it. I mean, all these sacrifices will be about dealing with sin. And God was trying to bring into a culture that would go on for a long time. And, and he was trying to bring into a worship culture, a, a political culture, a people group culture. He built into this culture the idea that sin had to be dealt with by sacrifice and that sin is serious business. It causes a serious divide between God and people and, and something serious has to happen to undo the divide. And it teaches us that sacrifice is the only thing that can, can make us one with God again. And throughout the book of Leviticus, we will see how important it is to God that we are all in with worship. In fact, I think that's what a lot of the sacrifice was about. It was about saying, I'm all in. It was about saying, like this animal being sacrificed. I will give myself to you, God. And there are some attitudes there that we can learn from, that we can pick up from as we look back to the culture that God created in these people. I mean, a lot of times, especially Christian people will look back in the Old Testament and they'll say, oh, that's just about a bunch of old laws or, oh, that's just about a bunch of old uh, ways of worship. But we forget that God designed it and he designed it for a reason, to prepare our hearts and our minds for the coming of Jesus. He, he 
he set the stage with places like the book of Exodus for his grace. And he wants us to understand his grace more by reading through the scriptures. You know, it says in, in the New Testament, it says all scriptures God breathed in and useful for teaching and training and correcting and rebuking so that the man of God will be fully equipped to do every good work. And, and he said all scripture, not just the New Testament, but even the old, even the old laws, it's all useful for teaching us how to live the life. God wants us to live, and, and it's all useful for teaching us about God's grace. Well, I want to walk through the first seven chapters really quickly. I mean, we're not going to read through them. Uh, you can gloss over them if you wanted to follow along, but we're going to take a look at some of these sacrifices because that's the way the book of Leviticus begins. It begins with a series of sacrifices and how-tos when it came to the sacrifices. There's not even a lot in the way of explanation as to why we do these sacrifices. God just simply dives in with the book and, and he begins to tell us how they were supposed to do these sacrifices. But I want to share with you some of these offerings, some of these sacrifices so that we can maybe get to know them a little bit. The first one was this. There were the burnt offerings. We meet the burnt offerings in chapter one right off the bat. Now these offerings, they were meant to be barbecued. <laughs> they were meant to be burnt all the way up. This was a mandatory offering. It was something that every person was expected to do on, 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 a, on a certain basis. They were expected to do it. And this was a daily offering every day in the temple or in the tabernacle. These offerings were being offered and they represented sort of a pathway to a, for a sinful person to approach a holy God. You know, we are sinful people. And for us to approach and enter into his presence, we realize we're entering into the presence of a holy God. And, and so these offerings were meant to prepare people to enter into a, a, a place where they're, they're going to stand before God. And it was meant to be sort of a purification sacrifice. Now, the way this sacrifice worked was people would bring either a bull or a ram, a sheep or a goat, or, or they would bring birds, depending on their financial situation. It was still supposed to be... Um, a sacrifice for them. It was supposed to be a stretch for them, but the, 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 the highest one of them that they could afford to bring, they were to bring. And then they were they themselves were to to kill the animal. They themselves were to cut the animal up into pieces and then give all the pieces to the priest, the Levitical priest, uh, who, who then would burn those on an altar. And all day and all night, they were to keep the burning going. And so this was sort of a continual thing, a continual reminder reminder for people that they're to be worshiping and bringing sacrifices to God and, and sacrificing this burnt offering regularly. So you can imagine just from that one offering that there was a smell in the air. And I don't know if the smell was always pleasing. Uh, I can't help but talk about a burnt offering without thinking of the time that I was at my uncle's house. Uh, he had a, a big, he had a lot of property, and, and sometimes he would have an animal die on his property, and there was a dead deer on his property. And uh, he asked me if I would deal with it. And me and my friends, we were going to come over and hang out with my cousin. We are going to have 
have a big bonfire. And we were thinking about what are we going to do with this old deer? And we decided that we would, uh, it was just this, you know, the amazing things that high school kids think to do. It was sort of a dumb thing or whatever, but, but we just thought, well, maybe we just, when we're done, we'll throw the deer on the fire. And so we took that old dead deer carcass and we threw it on the fire. And, uh, when, when I, heard later from my aunt my aunt had told me man sometimes that deer it it would just keep waking me up all night long sometimes it smelled good like it smelled like a a barbecue and and i would wake up and smell that smell and it would make me hungry and then other times something else would start to burn or smolder or smoke and and oh it just smelled awful and so she kind of described the way that this animal that was burning on the fire would smell good and smell bad and and i'm sure that she wouldn't have said that was a pleasing aroma it's probably not even a good memory for her and uh, and, and i'm i'll probably never do something like that again but looking at that and then thinking of this burnt offering the smells that must have been in the air all the time it does say in scripture in, in chapter one there that this offering was going to be a a creating an aroma that was pleasing to the lord and so so there's the burnt offering in chapter two of leviticus we're introduced to grain offerings now this was the only one that didn't involve the killing of an animal it it was an offering that the richest in israel could afford and the poorest in israel could afford and this was an offering they're expected to bring it was an offering where uh, they would bring either some grain that was made of flour or they would bring grain that was made of some other uh, some other grain and usually it was maybe barley or flour it was mixed together with olive oil and incense and and then it would be offered up sometimes it would be baked up as bread sometimes it would be made into a wafer or a pancake like uh, thing and and sometimes it would be cooked with oil in a pan and fried up and 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 we aren't exactly told the purpose of this offering but it was a regular offering they would bring and and it could easily be the picture of a of a servant bringing tribute to his king and and it describes this offering as a pleasing aroma to god it was a pleasing aroma uh, that would bring him honor and so uh, we see there were grain offerings and then there were peace offerings now in chapter three we're introduced to this idea of a peace offering this was sort of a special occasion offering the grain offerings were regularly done and the burnt offerings were regularly done but the peace offerings they were sort of a hey let's celebrate god together this was an offering where worshipers would would bring and offer an animal from among their cattle it was a voluntary offering where the worshiper would sacrifice the animal and and then the animals would be butchered up and they would be eaten in the in a in sort of a big barbecue type style setting it, it was barbecue time and and they would sort of have 
have this Thanksgiving Day feast style celebration with the peace offering. And it was all about reconnecting with God, having fellowship with him and and being at peace with him. This was a great time where people would use it to make sort of a vow or a commitment to him. And they would use it as a chance to celebrate God's goodness. And so you had the peace offering and, and you had the grain offering and you had the 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 burnt offering and then we move into the what the bible will call the sin offerings now this was an offering of repentance and asking for forgiveness and asking god to purify you from your sins this offering was about cleansing the place of worship and and it was about making it ready for sinful people to enter into the presence of god and now sin is is serious business when it comes to the way God feels about it. Now, God is a holy and perfect God, and when we are broken, sinful people, we are rebellious against Him and rebellious against one another, and and it breaks our relationship with God. It breaks our relationship with each other, and, and God's basically trying to teach us that the only way to deal with sin is through blood being spilled because there's life in the blood and so when this offering was made they would take the blood of this offering and and sprinkle it around on certain places that had symbolic meaning about being in God's presence and and so this was a sacrifice that was made and it was all about cleansing guilt it was all about cleansing the place from sin and so you had your sin offerings and then you had guilt offerings in chapter 5 we see the, the we, we see this guilt offering this was one of the specific offerings where a man where a man had sin in a specific way in a certain way against god's uh, God's things against the tabernacle or against the people of God, against God's commands or against a neighbor. And this offering usually went with trying to make things right. If someone had stolen something of a certain value, along with this offering, they had to bring 20% of the value to the 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 priest and to the temple, along with paying back what they owed. And then they would make this sacrifice to and this was the guilt sacrifice and and so you had these sacrifices that were being made and all these offerings all these rituals that went with them they were all meant to set the stage for an offering God was going to make on our behalf they were all meant to teach us that that God is 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 taking sin serious so serious that sacrifice is required so serious that that blood being spilt is necessary to bring atonement and to bring fellowship and peace with god and forgiveness of sin and removal of guilt and 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 god was using this to set the stage for what he was going to do in Jesus. You see, the New Testament tells us over and over that the Old Testament was all about testifying to us about Jesus. That there's not a book you can turn to in the Old Testament that doesn't somehow point to Jesus, teach us about Jesus, show us Jesus, or help us learn more about Jesus. The Apostle John will write in his gospel that Moses wrote about Jesus in the law, which Leviticus is part of and in the prophets which are all the prophetic books of the Old Testament and that he wrote about him and Paul writes in the book of Romans
Romans that all the law and the prophets testify about Jesus. Luke in the book of Acts, in, in Acts chapter 10, will say all the prophets, all the Old Testament testifies about him, that everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness through, of his sins through his name. And that even books filled with the law and filled with ritual and requirements for sacrifice, even books that bring us to a foreign place of, of blood and altars and animal sacrifices, even those books will tell us about Jesus. There's, there's a message about Jesus in them. And even these offerings were meant to prepare the world with this shadow, this picture of what Jesus would do and who he would be as our great final perfect sacrifice. We don't need these sacrifices anymore because Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice who brings us grace through his sacrifice. And through his sacrifice, he was all in. And through his sacrifice, he brings this pleasing aroma to God. And through this sacrifice, he, 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 he removes our sin and our guilt and he purifies us and and he makes us possible makes it possible for us to be in the presence of God and so what I want to do for the rest of our time here is just walk through a few thoughts uh, uh, walk through three ways that Jesus that Jesus covers the cost of sin and through his sacrifice. I want to talk about three ways that Jesus meets the requirement for all these sacrifices as we look at them. And the first way is this, that Jesus provides the most costly offering. Now, when you walk through the book of Leviticus, it will, it will be, I keep saying it, it will be a foreign world of, of deep worship. If you were to put yourself in the place where people were doing these things, you would see that there was this deep-seated worship happening here, a costly worship, one where you'll notice these offerings, how there was this, this deep sense of commitment that went with them. Every worshiper was making a, an incredibly large sacrifice. I imagine people of those days walking into a church today, and I imagine them looking around and asking, where is the sacrifice in your worship? And maybe someone sitting in a chair that had been watching or listening to church would say, well, I skipped going golfing today so that I could be here to worship. And, and maybe someone else will pipe up and say, well, uh, I didn't go to work today. Uh, you know, I, I, and I'm here at church, and so I made a sacrifice. And maybe someone else would say, well, you know, I skipped sleeping in because, you know, it's a real sacrifice for me. It's my only day, really, I get to sleep in. But I, I came to church, and, and so I sacrificed it. And you could imagine someone from the, that time where they were making a, a real sacrifice, just looking bewildered at, at today's worshiper, saying, where's the sacrifice in it? And maybe there's something we should walk away with uh, from that thought, that maybe— there's not enough sacrifice in our hearts. Maybe there's not enough willingness to, to sacrifice, to come and worship God. But you'll notice that every one of these, every one of these offerings, 
were sacrificial. As you read through and gloss through chapters 1 to 7, you'll find description of these offerings that, that they were meant to be sacrificial. Not just in the sense that animals were dying. Yes, there was blood. Yes, there was an altar. Yes, an animal was, was killed. But you notice that there was a high cost to every one of these offerings. Central to the offerings is the idea of how much it cost. How sacrificial was it for me to bring my best bull to be sacrificed as a burnt offering? How, how sacrificial was it for me to bring the, the first fruits, the grain of grain off of my farm field? You know, how, how, sacrifice, how, how much sacrifice was it for me to bring something that was so incredibly valuable to me and then just to, to burn it up or to let someone eat it up or to give it up? How sacrificial is my worship? And, and God knew, I think, human nature. He knew that human nature eventually sort of degrades down to worshipers saying, well, I gave up sleeping in so I could worship you, God. You know, I think he knows that. And so when, when he laid out how were these people to sacrifice, he said only the best, only the most costly will I receive in sacrifice and worship. You know, he knew that there would probably be a tendency for for them to sort of slip down the the line from the best to, oh, maybe something, maybe a good animal from my flock to let's give him the sick ones and the dying ones. And and we weren't going to keep them anyways. Right. And, and, and so he said, no, only the ones that are that are the best of your bulls, that are the best of your rams, that are the that are the costliest of your of your grains. I want you to understand that there is a cost to sin, that there is a cost to worship, and when you're willing to pay that cost, it's a pleasing aroma to God. Now, even King David understood the value of, of making sure there was a cost in your worship. One time, King David had sinned, and he wanted to make a, a burnt offering to enter into the presence of God and ask his forgiveness, and there was a man... Uh, uh, who offered him, free of cost, free of charge, some land and some animals so that he could go and make sacrifices. And in Second Samuel chapter 24, 30, uh, 24, he says this, But the king replied to Aaronah, No, I insist on buying uh, uh, everything up. I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have not cost me nothing. And so David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. In other words, he's saying my worship should cost something. It should cost me something. I should be sacrificing to worship God. And, and there's an aroma here, a smell in the air with all of this uh, blood and guts and butchering and, and, and burning. There's an aroma here. It's the smell of committed people. It's the smell of someone who will make a true sacrifice and worship. You know, and, and, and here's the message of grace, that Jesus covers the cost. God knew 
all the sacrifices of mankind put together. God knew that even all these animal sacrifices weren't going to cover the cost of sin for mankind. And so in grace, God says in Jesus, I will cover the cost. God says, I'm going to cover the cost with my own life. He comes into our world. He becomes one of us and he gives us his first. He gives us his best. He gives us the payment of the highest price, the payment of his life, of his one and only son. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to pay the ultimate cost, to give his life as this ransom, give his life as this sacrifice, a sacrifice that covers all these sacrifices. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave himself up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? In other words, he's saying God didn't spare any cost. He was willing to give up his son for you and for me. No, talk about cost. He paid the highest price. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, God showed so much love. He, he showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. He sent us his son. He gave us his son. And, and there's a smell there's an aroma in the air when it comes to Jesus and the cross. There's a smell. Do you smell it? It's a smell that's pleasing to the Lord because it's a smell of the highest cost being paid for your sins and for mine to remove guilt, to bring us back to God, to remove sin, and to make us thankful that he was willing to pay the highest price. And then we see the next thought is this. The next thought is this, that Jesus provides a perfect offering. You have probably said it before. No, nobody's perfect. Nothing's perfect in this world. Nothing lasts forever. And, and normally you'd be right. But there was this expectation in worship that there would at least be a reaching for perfection. That there would be a reaching for, for giving the best and, and the most perfect of sacrifices. Now some of you know me well enough you know that there was a time where I tried my hand at sheep farming I was not a very good sheep farmer uh, I tried my best I think I did okay here and there and I learned a lot trying to do it I sort of got it out of my system I don't know if I'll ever do it again I'm not going to say never because I don't know I've learned never say never but uh, but at this point I hope it never happens again I don't think I ever want to get back into sheep farming and one noticed something when I was sheep farming that that it can be tough to try to keep a whole herd of sheep healthy. Uh, sometimes I struggled with that. I ended up getting what they call hoof rot in my soil. And, and because it's in the soil, it's really hard to keep your sheep from getting it. And, and when they get it, it just sort of spreads throughout the flock. And, and sometimes you would have a really healthy sheep. And sometimes you'd have a, a sheep that would be on its knees because its hoofs were hurting and painful. And, and, and it really was hard to watch and you tried your best to get rid of it and it was just this struggle and, and I could see 
I could see once again human nature coming into sacrificing when you had your flocks and your herds and your cattle. I could see it being tempting for people to say, you know what, uh, let's, I'm not going to give my best bull instead, uh, I'm gonna, or my best ram. Instead, I'm gonna, let's go ahead and sacrifice that, that little old unhealthy sheep with hoof rot instead. But no, God would lay out the requirements and he would say, only bring the perfect ones. Bring a lamb, bring a sheep, bring a bull without defect one that's healthy one that's among the best one that's perfect and and it was even to the point to where your levitical priesthood would inspect the animals and make sure that the ones being brought were 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 good and healthy and they were among the best in the in the in the flocks or in the in the herds and so there was this idea of bringing a perfect sacrifice built into their worship and their culture and there was this attitude that only a perfect sacrifice would work and again God is teaching us the cost of sin he's trying to show us that 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 sin requires a perfect sacrifice that sin breaks our relationship with God and only through a perfect sacrifice without blemish could that relationship be fixed and the problem is even the best bull ram or grain it's imperfect and and or it's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be without blemish and the problem is that all of us no matter how good we try to be we still have been rotten we still have been enslaved we still have been made imperfect and unholy by the sin in our life and so we need a truly perfect sacrifice to help us out and that's where God once again was setting the stage for grace as you read through all these sacrifices, they were all supposed to be perfect, even though they would never be truly perfect. But when it came to the story of Jesus and the gospel, when we enter into the story of Jesus and the gospel, we find the story of a perfect God who comes into our world, puts skin on, and he lives a perfect a sinful life without blemish. He's tempted just as we are, but he resists temptation even to the point of death and death on a cross. In First John, it says this, that, that you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and that there was no sin, there is no sin in him. Now he's saying more than just, oh, Jesus was a good guy. You know, everybody liked him. No, he's saying there is no sin in in him. He was this perfect lamb of God without blemish. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 22 it says he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He never lied. He never deceived. He never sinned at all. And again, it's more than just saying, oh, yeah, he's a good dude. You know, recently I, I had to take my car in to get it worked on. And, and a, a friend of mine recommended someone to work on it. And he said, this guy, he's an honest guy. Well, 
I'm sure that's true. He's an honest guy, but there only comes a, honesty only can go so far when it comes to us as human beings. We're all flawed and, and we all have failures and we all have sin in our life. And, and this is not this is not Peter saying that Jesus, oh, he was just an honest guy. But we all know that we all have sin too. No. Peter is saying that Jesus was perfect. Because you see, if Jesus was not perfect when he died on the cross, the only person's sins that he would have been dying for and paying for were his own. But because he had no sin, he was able to die for and pay for my and yours. In Second Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes this, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. And here we're talking about the burnt offering. Here we're talking about the grain offering. Here we're talking about the peace offering. And, and here we're talking about the sin offering. And, and here we're talking about the guilt offering that Jesus became this offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And, and there's a smell to this verse. There's a smell to all these verses, an aroma to these verses, an aroma of sacrifice, a smell of blood in the air, a smell. Can you smell it? A smell of God loving you so incredibly that he's willing to pay this ultimate price, make this ultimate sacrifice, to offer a perfect sacrifice without blemish on your behalf. It's the smell of God's grace a perfect sacrifice that he brings you and he brings me. And that, that brings us to the last one. And the last thought is this for today, that Jesus provides a final offering. You know, one of the things that, that people will often ask me as a pastor is, is why did they do those sacrifices back then? You know, what was that all about? And, and, and why don't people do them today? What, what, what changed there? And the answer is, is that those sacrifices were always meant to prepare people for the idea of the penalty of sin and the idea that blood can forgive sin. And it prepared people with the idea that there could be a substitute for you and me. That we didn't have to pay for it ourselves. That there could be a substitute. But, but the truth is, is that those animals were never really the substitute God, God had in mind. He did tell them to do that because he wanted to prepare them with the idea that, that a substitutionary death would pay for sin. But always with the idea that Jesus would be the ultimate substitute. In fact, the Apostle Paul would say it this way in Hebrews chapter 10. In verses 3 to 4, he says, But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins. So part of what the sacrifice of the Old Testament and the book of Leviticus was all about, Paul tells us, it was all about, and he was an expert. He, he, was, he was an expert in the law. And he was an expert more than he would be. And he says, basically, all that stuff in the Old Testament, those, those sacrifices, they were all about teaching us about sin teaching us that that we have sin and that we need to deal with sin year after year they went through this cycle of worship it was built into their culture and who they were but it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins 
And then he would go on and he would say that Jesus does. He, he would say this in, in verse 10, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And what he's saying there is that even those people back then who were lifting up that pleasing aroma to God in the temple, those who had faith in Yahweh to forgive their sins, those who were putting their hope in Yahweh, well, they were part of all time. And they were looking forward to the Messiah God would send as this ultimate sacrifice. And, and Jesus' forgiveness worked backwards and, and gives those people the forgiveness that they need. Just like Jesus' forgiveness moves forwards in time out to the place where it reaches you and me. And, and it's, it's, it's capable of being this sacrifice that happened once in history once in time where Jesus Christ died on a cross, he's able to forgive you and me even today. And, and what a pleasing aroma that does lift to God. And Paul will continue in verse 12 saying, But our high priest, who's Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for for sin, good for all time. Once again, he's pointing to the idea that Jesus was one sacrifice that covers all and then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. He'll continue in verse 14 saying, For by that one offering he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. In Hebrews 10 verse 18 he says, And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. In other words, Jesus covers the cost of sin. He covers it for all time. And when we think of that cost, when we think of what God was willing to do, I mean, on one side, all that worship that the people of Israel were doing and told to do in Exodus, it was all about them paying a cost to say I'm all in and making a sacrifice. But on the other side, we come to Christ. We come to this God who says, I will cover the cost of sin. And that should motivate us. That, that, should, that should motivate us to want to take a hold of everything God has to give where we realize that even though it's free, it's not cheap. Even though it's free, it costs the very life of Jesus on the cross. And, and though it's free, it should draw us to want to give him everything and to say by this sacrifice, I'm all in. And there's a smell to that verse there's a smell and aroma and even though it's not a pleasing aroma when you think about the things that happened at the cross that day you think of the smells that were there in the air that day there's an aroma of grace at the cross can you smell it take it in breathe in it it's a pleasing aroma to God I want to encourage you this morning to take a hold of that grace that God wants to give you I want to encourage you to take some next steps and one of those next steps is this to take a hold of this pleasing sacrifice that God has given you the opportunity to take a hold of 
If you've never decided that you believe in Jesus for the first time, I'd love to encourage you to make a first-time commitment to believe in Christ, to receive what He wants to give you so desperately. also want to encourage you to take some steps in faith, maybe to say, God, I, I want to I, I let Jesus be that sacrifice for my sin. I understand how this sin has separated me from you, and, and I want to let you be the ultimate sacrifice in my life. I want to let Jesus be the pleasing aroma to God on my behalf. I want to encourage you to make a first-time decision. And just let me know that you're making that decision, maybe by clicking on the link below to the connection card and just mark down that you're making a first-time decision to follow Jesus. I would love to help you with your next steps. And I want to encourage you today just to say thank you to God, just to to draw close to God because of this ultimate sacrifice that Jesus was willing to pay as an offering for our sin. Let's pray together now. Father in heaven, I want to come before you and I want to say thank you for Jesus Christ who loves us, who cares for us, and who paid the ultimate price and gave the ultimate sacrifice for us. God, sometimes we think of the sacrifice and the love that you have given us and we forget that just how costly it was we can take it for granted and God I pray that we wouldn't and God I want to pray on behalf of those who are here with us now that that haven't yet made a first time decision and I just want to encourage you them to pray with me now as we say Jesus forgive us for our sin we believe and we want to follow you and we want to let you make the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf so that there is no sacrifice left for sin God we want to know a life without guilt we want to know a life that's forgiven and we want to know your eternal life and so God we believe in you and we receive you, and I pray that that we would make our first-time decision to follow you and walk with you. And, and I pray your special blessing on each one that's praying those prayers right now, that you will help them as they follow through with that first-time decision with their next steps, next steps of repentance, next steps of baptism, next steps of following you and walking with you and and loving you. I pray, Father, your blessing on each one who's with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to say thanks again for joining us for our online teaching time today. Hey, you might have joined us this morning. Maybe we've sort of been your church, your online church, and and you've been with us. And and I want to encourage you, if you want to join us in supporting Vernonia Church and our online teaching, or or even just support Vernonia Church and the work that we're doing, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. There are several ways that you can do that, but I'm just going to give you two easy ones. One of them is you can go online at any time to www.vernonia that's v e r n o n i a dot 
church. And there, there's a Give tab. In fact, there might even be a link below that you can click that will just take you over to our Give tab on our website. And you can set up a one-time gift, or you could set up a multiple-time gift. And you could give a little bit. You could give a lot. You could give whatever you want. And so uh, I just want to invite you to do it that way. You could also do it by texting the word GIVE, to that's G-I-V-E, to 503-376-6646. Just text the word GIVE to that number, and it will open up our Tidely account, and you can set up giving there the same way that you would set it up on your, on your website. And so a couple easy ways to do it. Uh, I want to say thank you to those of you who have been giving, who are giving, and I want to welcome all of you to join us. You could give a dollar, you could give a hundred, a thousand, whatever you want to give. Uh, you could join us in giving and, and honoring God together as we as we are trying to reach out with the message of God's word to our community and beyond. You know, really, I see this online worship as something that blesses our church, but also something that really is us expanding who we're reaching. And the more we do this, the better we get at it, the the, the smarter we are about it, the more we're able to reach out beyond Vernonia and beyond beyond the borders of where where we normally would wouldn't reach and so uh, it's sort of awesome it's sort of cool to be a part of a church that could put the message of uh, the word of god out this way um, so i want to invite you to join us in giving and let's just pray together for uh, f for the outreach of our online worship together and so let's pray Father in heaven, I pray that you will use this online worship, this online teaching time. I pray that we will be able to bless people and reach people beyond the scope of the reach of our, uh, of our church, uh, of our in-person church. God, you have used this in special ways, and I pray that you'll continue to use it in special ways, and I pray that you'll continue to use us to share the message of the gospel all over the world through social media. And I pray that this will be a blessing to people, that, that you will make uh, a divine appointment with the messages that we give and the people who need to hear them. I pray that you will use this to bring honor and glory to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. I want to finish up our service today, our time today, by declaring it's been a great day. I love doing this at in-person church, and I'm going to keep doing this in our online worship time. So on the count of three, I'm going to declare it's been a great day. And if you're in a place where you can uh, declare it too, it just feels good to do it. You know, it's sort of a prayer. God, will you make this a great day? And, and, and God, I'm going to serve you today, and it's going to be a great day. That's sort of the heart or the attitude of it. So I'm going to count to three, and we're going to declare it's been a great day. One, two, three. It's been a great day. I hope you have a great day, and I look forward to joining you next week.